Welcome to Office Hours, and thank you for joining us. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about we do what we do on officehours.global. Our first hour, always a general discussion of production and IT-related topics where we answer audience-submitted questions. And by we, I mean the fabulous panel of experts we've assembled for the show today. The second hour is typically a deeper dive into a topic, and today some of our Office Hours regulars are here on the panel and will be revisiting what they saw at the recent CES, the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. It's one of the largest trade shows there annually. So it should be a fun to fun time getting their perspective on what they saw at the show. So stand by for our second hour. But right now, let's get started with our first hour. Mitch, what have we got today? Thank you, Bill. First in, David Brady from New York, New York, asking for us Windows users. Yes, there are a few of us in need of hardware volume controls. Have a look here. I'm thinking of getting one. Has anyone seen this in real life? Um, it's a PC panel, and I have a link to it there. Alex is going to start us off here. Alex? Yeah, I don't know if I'd build my keyboard into the panel. Uh, one of the ones that uh, that um, I, I got that I'm playing with is called the VS Display. Um, this is a separate display. This is kind of the same display that you'd see up there, except for the fact that it's separate. I can put it where I want it, and I can design it. If I want to put it right over the keyboard, I can, but I'm not limited to that. So that's probably the direction that, that I would go. Guy. Yeah, it seems a little limited. Uh, the price seems right, but there are some interesting stuff that just came out at CES. To, uh, so this is the one that David's showing. It, it's pretty limited with four knobs, uh, four faders, uh, volume controls. Um, at CES, Roland announced a, a new product that is about the same where you can handle a different stream going out. So if you want to have chat not stay, um, like we use comms, so we, you could have comms to where that's just local, and then you have a separate bus that you can push stuff out. Myself, I'm using... Uh, a different version, which would be, let's see, camera six, whoops, six, which is uh, the roadcaster, which is the big version of this. So then you can have multiple buses and you can, uh, you know, independently adjust. And so for a PC, I'd look at uh, the new offerings from Roland, but also look at the, uh, the roadcaster depending on your needs. But 69 bucks seems like an all right deal for that product. Mitch Hill. Uh, the device that David is showing is merely a control uh, that will control the mixer in your PC. It's not uh, passing audio, so it's a strictly uh, remote control device. My opinion of it is it's a little small, particularly if you got to reach over and hit something very quickly and make things happen. Um, I prefer the uh, JL Cooper Eclipse, and I have a link that I can put up uh, in the other uh, path there so if anybody wants to see it. Uh, it's more, uh, it's larger. It's also motorized faders, so it'll track the uh, volume controls on your PC which I think uh, is a very elegant way to do it. Mitch, generally speaking, do you have a price point on that? Yes, it's about uh, $1,500 last okay. I looked. And the PC device that uh, uh, David is mentioning is about 99 bucks. Okay, so there's a pretty big spread there. But Jeffrey Powers, your thoughts? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's meant for the volume control. Like, for instance, if you have Spotify installed on the Windows machine or Zoom installed, you can control those volumes independently from another volume, like uh, if you're running YouTube off of speakers or something like that. So what this thing will do is it'll you can assign each of those for that. Uh, we talked about this a couple of days ago when somebody had a Korg, uh, Korg Nano 2 and they wanted to get a program to run it through Windows. And I showed a... Uh, GitHub, where you could actually use the Korg to do the exact same thing. 
And Alex Lindsay is going to sneak back in and finish things up. I do want to apologize. I answered the wrong question. David Brady has another question later that, and I was ahead of it and I read through all these things. So I answered a completely different question. I just saw David Brady and I scanned it and I was like, oh, this is the one about the monitor. It's not the one, the one about the monitor. I'm a little embarrassed. Uh, but I, I'm testing this little tour box, which I kind of like. Um, this has got you know, a lot more little details to it. Um, I haven't figured out whether I can get to them fast enough, but uh, it's a it's a cool little little box, a little bit more expensive, uh, smaller than I expected, um, but uh, which I like. Um, and so, um, so anyway, that's that's called box. a tour box. And did you say a tour box? There's a, this is a Neo, yeah. um, okay. and uh, the there's a larger one as well. It's a little bit more expensive, but I decided to get this one. I kind of have a smattering of of tool of, of inter interfaces as I try to figure out which ones I like and which ones I don't in production. Great. Okay. Well, I think we covered it. David, hope they, that took care of your question. Let's move on to the next one. From Brian Becker in Charlottesville, Virginia. Brian asked, does anyone on the panel have any experience with the Sony CI cloud media management platform? I'm looking for someone with real world experience and I can't find anyone discussing it online. And Alex, help. Well, we're going to get them on in this quarter. So you'll be able to ask questions directly. So stay tuned for that. Perfect. That's the, no, no better source of information than the people who make it. Let's go to the next question. David Brady is back from New York, New York, asking new MacBook Air M2 and notice that when plugging cables and devices, the second Thunderbolt port, the one closest to the trackpad, well, it doesn't quite make a reassuring click. Multiple cables and orientations with the same results. Is this normal? Alex. I've had this problem with my 2020 uh, Mac, Mac, uh, MacBook Pro, where the one of them, and I don't know which one, is not doesn't make that sound, and I'm not sure why it doesn't make that sound. But I I know I know what you're talking about because I keep on pointing it out, pushing it back in, going, it's supposed to click. It still works just fine, but it doesn't do the little click that tells you it's all the way in. I wonder if that's related to the cable because most of my Thunderbolts, and I put them in and out a lot, at least on the old MacBook Pros that I have. Uh, they don't click. That's interesting. Jeffrey, what are your thoughts? So here's my MacBook uh, 2, and I'm putting it in both. I can hear the. this is the first one. There's the click. The second one, I hear the click. So I'm not sure. It could be the cable. It could be the uh, inside. The, and that's an the, Air uh, or a MacBook Pro? This is an Air. Okay. Okay, there you go. Interesting. All right. I, boy, I'm going to pay more attention to plug in my cables. I hadn't heard that. Uh, let's go on to the next question. Next one in for me, I'm asking, why do I never see a Zoom credit on CNN? It's always WebEx or Cisco or some other guys. Uh, various results, some horrible. Uh, Alex. So uh, you may be seeing Zoom, but Zoom doesn't, doesn't have a, uh, a requirement to show the logo. So Skype and Cisco both require the logo to be shown or you have to mention it. So I don't know the Cisco rules. I've never used, never thought of using WebEx for broadcast. But, but the um, Skype... Um, you know, if you use a Skype TX box, which a lot of broadcasters have and have had for a long time, you're required to either mention Skype on, you know, coming in over Skype uh, at the beginning of the piece, or you have to show the logo and broadcasters choice, choose one or the other to, to, to do that. And I'm going to guess that WebEx has the same thing. WebEx would be a horrible platform to do, uh, to, to, to bring someone in from broadcast though. So, um, but Zoom doesn't make that requirement. And as a result, you don't see the logo. Uh, and Jeffrey Powers. And CNN does have a long-standing contract with WebEx, so you'll see a lot of WebEx before you do Zoom. Uh, Chris Fenwick. So, Alex, I'm curious about that. Do they um, are they getting some services in kind for those mentions, or can't they just 
buy an account like you and I do and just use it and not have to deal with all that messy mess? No, the, that debris, that's been a, an, a thing for a long time. For a long time, Skype was the only service that could really provide a 1080p signal over web, you know, over some kind of real-time thing. So when the Skype TX box came out, there wasn't really any competition. Um, you didn't have a broadcast solution for that. And so they didn't want your money. They wanted you to say that you were using Skype. <laughs> you know, it's Microsoft. They didn't need the money. So they didn't need you to pay for it. They wanted you to, but I don't think that there was, I don't know anybody that got around that license. So for a long time, you saw the Skype logo pop up or they would just say, coming in over Skype, we've got blah, 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 blah. And, and broadcasters went, you, you're, that was totally fine as well. So it didn't, it didn't matter, um, you know, which one. So w would they just pull your license or I turn off they, your signal if you didn't? I, I don't think that anybody ever enforced it. Like, I don't think that it was something, it was in the terms of service. And so the legal folks are going to tell the broadcasters, don't, don't do this, you know, because they don't want to be left open to something. But as a, it was definitely a TOS. And it definitely told you that, <laughs> that you need to do one or the other. It was pretty clearly outlined. I don't know anybody that ever, ever was brought, it, it was brought to, you know, court over it or, or, or talked to about, or even talked to about it. I think it was just the terms of service, but most broadcasters will not break rules if they don't have to. On a much smaller uh, uh, level, one of our clients who does a lot of work with us, but also work with other people, I notice on videos that are created for this client um, by this other uh, provider, they have actually somehow negotiated that they put their name in the, the, the final, I wouldn't call it credits, it's more like you know legal disclosure, and I, and I said in our office, I go, why don't we have our name in this thing? You know, but when we make a video, it's like, I don't know, we never asked to do that. I just thought it was an interesting yeah, the, uh, the, 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 oh, negotiation. The, the negotiation of credit, credit rolls, is a, it's a whole second hour in itself. <laughs> if we could get anybody to talk about it, which they won't, you know, but it's how those logos end up at the, yeah. you know, some of them are automatic. Like when you watch a film, if you're getting a, if you're getting money from um, Georgia, for instance, you're going to put that logo really big at the end. Um, that's, that's a, that's a part of their deal. Um, they, um, if you're, you know, if you're using Technicolor, if you're using Kodak film, if you're, you know, you know, there's all kinds of things that get put in there and people, you know, negotiate over that, um, you know, that, that process. And it, it's something that can be taken away, you know, electric image, you know, did a, we did a, a ton of star Wars shots with electric image and they pulled something right before, uh, star Wars episode one came out and they pulled, they were pulled out of the credits. <laughs> you know, like it was a really expensive, you know, like it was, I don't remember what, they made some announcement. They talked before they should and, and everything else. And, and, uh, and that was a big, big hit. And so back then when people actually, you know, watched the credits, I mean, nowadays the shows don't even, I mean, they, you're on to the next episode before you get to see the credits, the end of the, the end roll. So Mitchell, you got a thought? Yeah, not that I would end up on CNN with a credit, but uh, I have a general rule with my business that if I get paid to do something, we don't have to appear in the credits. The money's changed hands, and that's been good. And the thing with CNN that I'm mentioning, 99% of the time it says WebEx up there, and but yet the, the quality of the interviews vary greatly, even with the WebEx uh, tag on there, some of them really bad. And if I were WebEx, I'd say, I don't want our logo associated with that bad interview. 
I'll just say, having worked in the advertising industry before I started doing other things, one of the biggest terms that you see in terms of the metrics of effectiveness of advertising is impressions. And CNN, by putting that WebEx logo in the corner, was racking up hundreds and thousands of impressions because each audience member who sees that makes an impression. And that's one of the metrics they use to determine well, success. And not only impressions, but they're saying, well, if CNN uses it, we can use it. I mean, that's definitely a, you know, a piece of, totally. that, of that puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. Next question. Next one in from Stefan Fischer in Würzburg, Germany. How will the new HomePod affect the future of audio and video production through its outstanding immersive capabilities? Does it take any advantage of Dolby Atmos? Uh, our expert on that, Alex. What's what's the yeah? So I'm going to get a couple from my office just to see how it goes. Um, so the uh, so we'll we'll see how it goes. I, you know, they are. I know, I know T.J. Asher a while ago had talked about it um, on Office Hours years ago. He had gotten two of the original HomePods, and he said that it was not the same as his surround, but it was pretty darn close. <laughs> so, so it was um, that the two of them sounded very, very good together. So, I'm really interested to see how it, you know, how it sounds. I don't think it changes production that much. I think Atmos production has exploded since uh, Apple Music. Um, you know, Atmos is in almost everything, every movie that you see. And then when Apple Music started to support spatial audio and specifically called out Atmos, that's when production really turned on. I don't think the HomePods are going to do anything other than take take advantage of what, what the uh, production is doing now. Nigel. Yeah, there's a huge bump in the market for soundbars at the six or $700 range. The low-end range is, is pretty much stable, but people are doing some amazing things at the sort of mid-price range in soundbars. And I think what Apple is trying to do is, is get into that space. I don't believe they're trying to compete with the Echo as much as trying to bring some, bring your, your Apple Music a better experience, improve the television viewing experience and you'd be amazed the number of people who are still watching television but listening to those you know one inch speakers firing down from the bottom of their their panels and i think they found a way to to get those people who are apple music into that because you buy two of them at six hundred dollars seven hundred dollar price range and give them a fundamental different experience i think the people who are creating the content aren't creating it for those people they're creating it for the people next level up and they're already doing the things they need to do not Alex. great but oh. doing them excuse me nigel i cut you off alex yeah the 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 thing that apple's doing that also I, I believe the sennheiser ambio does and a couple other ones that are on the higher end is they have microphones in the speakers and that is something that you want to look for in a surround system if you're not going to tune a high-end surround system the bar itself has to have uh speakers because what it's doing or microphones because what what apple's doing is they're measuring the reflections. So those those each speaker is measuring the reflections based on what it thinks it needs to have for for you to listen to it. The Ambio does the same thing. And I will say the Sennheiser Ambio is 95% a full system uh, with a bar in the front <laughs> you know, and, a, and a base. It's, it's an amazing system. Um, and so I think that I'm, you know, especially given what TJ said about the earlier ones, I'm pretty excited about what these ones might be able to do. Well, I have to admit, my uh, main system for watching television has two original HomePods on the sides. My biggest complaint is I got too much low end when I when I'm watching something with explosions. It like fills the house. <laughs> my like speaker, crazy. I have little speaker covers, and when we hit a really big ho uh, um, end, they fall off. <laughs> they literally fall <laughs> off the wall. <laughs> They're bent up because we keep on putting them back up because it's just like we just set them back in. And yeah. um, the uh, I will tell you that if uh, the probably the biggest thing that made a difference in watching. Uh, films at home for us was that 
you know, when we, the house that I moved into just had, had the system built in. I didn't build it into it. But I have to say that after watching films there and you can hear everything around you, sometimes you look over to the side thinking something's happening outside and it's just the speakers. And after you get used to that experience, um, going to, you can't really go to film, watch a film unless it's IMAX or Dolby Cinema. You, like you, you know, every other theater is lesser than my, my home my home <laughs> so, so action so movies that, do seem to love that 30 to 50 hertz boom <laughs> well yeah so so i so i think that it is um if you're looking for a way to improve it i don't i don't even have the best screen out there right now um uh, and um, i'm you know it's the sound that really makes makes the shows nigel you had another last thought here yeah i was just gonna say i think that what would be interesting is not if you could use two but if you could use four or five of these home pods because yeah, it doesn't they don't support more than they don't group more of them i i i, I totally agree with you and even using the little ones i thought oh they're going to put little ones we can put up above and everything else but it doesn't look like they support more than two right now yeah we have you know that when we do the demo for a client you know we start with a here's an echo in the corner of the room now here's two speakers you know and now here's eight covering the room and the physical difference of having more speakers that don't need to play louder they can play quieter but the more speakers completely changes the feeling of the sound yeah absolutely yeah. a lot of stuff going on in that space so uh thank you for everybody's uh, content on this this was really interesting to listen to so let's go to the next question from david brady in new york new york and times square mechanical keyboard with built-in display gimmick or useful worth the 400 dollars price tag there is a link for it guy cochran's going to start us off here yeah depending on your needs uh i think that it's a, a pretty cool device the uh origin uh the original laptop from asus uh which i happened to purchase so it's kind of like this one so the uh one that david references is his resolution uh, for the 12 inch screen is 1920 by 515p uh a couple of years back i bought the asus zenbook pro and the idea was that that lower screen would be for uh, my adobe premiere timeline uh, I like Alex's idea of using it for scopes and things like that, but the reality is that you're not looking down that much. So I think it's kind of a gimmick uh, based on my experience. I returned my, my uh, Asus. I didn't, I didn't fall in love with it. I went back to my Mac. So <laughs> happy camper there. Jeffrey Powers. I didn't use this one, but I did use another one uh, earlier last year. Uh, I, what I like about this one is it's got the gaming, the K2 switches, which are keycaps you can actually change out to clean out your keyboard a little bit more. So it's definitely got a gaming keyboard to it. It's a touch screen above that. So you could do something like if you're using Wirecast, you could put that in there and kind of have your scenes right there. If you're doing any transcriptions, you could either have the text right there or you could have the pictures right there and you're typing trying to go from memory like for instance doing all the ces stuff when i'm writing the articles i got to remember what we talked about so that that's a great place to have that the only thing that i really wish that that had was uh, a, a, a hinge of some sort so the screen came up a little bit because it's too flat in my case but in all it looks like a great keyboard might be a little bit too big for travel um but i would probably buy that and use that uh, alex so I'm going to come back and answer the question that I that I answered at the very beginning. I would use uh, <laughs> so if you're looking at this one, I would get a separate monitor that I that I got here. And again, this is the uh, VS. That looks display. familiar. Yeah, exactly. It was like I just talked about it earlier. This was the question that I that I when I was scanning for the morning uh, I did. But anyway, this one can has a visa mount on the back. Um, it is a uh, well, it's got kind of a visa mount. It's like a half a visa mount. Um, and, uh, but what I'm looking at is kind of building it up as a display where I can have a couple things, you know, in front of me, uh, that I look down when I'm looking down at my switcher, for instance, I want to maybe have 
some stuff down there. So that's what I'm that's what I'm looking at. Jeffrey Powers had another thought. Jeffrey? Keep in mind, it's also a KVM. So you could plug in a second computer. You could plug in a Raspberry Pi and switch to that and do some work and then switch to your other computer. So it, it's got a multifunction to that ability too. And Tom Ferguson popped in here late. Alex, what's the make and model on that? <laughs> it's called VS Display, and the, I think the website is uh, vslcd.com. Um, but I think I bought it on, you know, I think I bought it on Amazon. But it's, um, but, but VS, VS Display, um, and that's it. And it's, it does have, there is a, 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 a monitor setting that will be, it's like 1400 by 900 or something. It's like a weird, not 14, or maybe, yeah, it's, it's a very weird format, but it does show up. The Mac sees it and, and uh, does it, manages it properly. Let's move to the next question. From Douglas Carmichael asking, early Geekbench benchmark scores, according to Mac uh, rumors, are showing the M2 Pro beating the M1 Max in both single and multi-core performance. For users that don't need more than 32 gigabytes RAM, <clears throat> excuse me, can you see the M2 Pro Mac Mini outselling the studio? Uh, Nigel, start us off here. Yeah, so again, I would uh, always question any benchmarking. I think benchmarking tends to benchmark things that aren't real work. And you as a user is going to have to decide how much memory you want, how many cores you want, how many, how much I.O. you want, and then pick the right box. I'd also be very careful about doing year-on-year comparisons, particularly where Apple is at the moment, where they appear to have too many SKUs in the market that overlap and get confused. Um, typically, people who buy processors don't buy them every year unless they're buying additional. They don't swap out. So it's probably better to do an every other year comparison if you really want to have that conversation. So, you know, if you got into the one, look at the three and the five and the seven. If you got into the two, look at the four and the six. Because you won't, you know, if you're really buying every year, you just won't see the difference. Alex, your thoughts? I think that we're going to see that the difference between the the studio and the Mac Mini is heat performance, and that will affect performance over long cycles. So if you're going to do something that's going to take two or three hours, like rendering something out, and I do think that what you're going to see is that the Mac Mini, you know, basically Mac Mini. So this will be the Mac Mini line, starting at five ninety nine, ending at forty five hundred. This is the Mac Studio line that is um, starting about three thousand and going up to about ten thousand. And I think you're going to see another one come out this year that is the um, Mac Pro, and it's going to be you know starting at I'm going to guess about six to eight k and end up at about 80k i think is, is probably what we're gonna that's that's my that's my guess um you know looking at it and so um these these are going to be monsters um but this is for a very specific crowd <laughs> you know and um uh and these i think the studio is gonna for most of us here this would be enough um and what's amazing is apple's building something that you can start at 600 dollars and go all the way up to 60 to eighty thousand dollars, and they're giving you lots of things in between. I think that the iMac may, I think the iMac that we saw go out may be the last one. Um, that's going to be my guess. These make way more sense <laughs> for Apple to the format of the iMac when it comes to high performance, you know, just heat dissipation and everything else doesn't really make any sense. Um, and Apple now has a bunch of monitors. And so I think that we're going to see more and more of, uh, of these, um, these computers, but I think these are the big three. Sky Gleason. The question also talks about how much RAM do you need? And that was, in looking at the laptops anyway, I was surprised that you can get up to 96 gigabytes of un 
of memory. And I'm wondering though, with the, the new M chips, is that where the software is getting its horsepower? Do you need that much RAM it's, anymore? So it's getting, you don't need that much RAM very often. Um, so in most of your video applications, uh, it's going to be fine. Um, I do, I can tap out an eight gig at 16 gigs, almost everything will work except for photogrammetry and 3d. So I get into places where it can't manage that. Um, and, and then at 32, of course, but that's not really giving you the speed, the speed that's coming from the M one and M twos is the integrated GPU, CPU, RAM, having those all on a, on a single piece of silicon, um, along with all the subsurface, it makes it much, much faster because it's no longer going through a bus. So it doesn't have to go out. It's like just everything's in the same building. Everything's, you know, fibered together. <laughs> if you think about it as a building um, and it's not having to ever go out to an interchange outside of it. And so as a result, it's, it's moving dramatically faster. And so that integrated solution and it, it rebuilds how you think about processing because the CPU and GPU can, it's not a CPU operation or a GPU operation. They can be used together, um, you know, by the, by the OS and, and thereby by the thing. It, one of the things we were, a couple of us were talking about <laughs> the last couple of days is that it is going to get very, very hard for developers to develop. You know, if you're a small developer, you're going to have to pick a Mac and like, and you're doing something high end. If you're doing word processing, it doesn't matter. But if you're doing, you know, video or audio, you're going to have to really have a specialized team that's just focused on the M1. Uh, and if you're a small company, you should probably just do a Mac version of things, um, mostly because you're not going to be able to squeeze the performance out of out of the computer if you're trying to cross-platform anything. Someone has to be dedicated to just taking full advantage of this and. Um, from talking to Andy and other folks, it really isn't like there's a guide. It's like a, it's a treasure hunt. <laughs> That's how it's been described of how do we, how do we, you know, but you cannot step outside of the, you can't step out of the system that Apple has built. As soon as you do, you immediately, everything slows down and becomes cumbersome. So you have to keep on figuring out how do we stay inside of the M1 system to, um, to develop for. So I think that there's going to be a huge demand for developers who really understand you know, M1 development, the performance when you do that is, you know, dramatic. You know, like I, I, I just keep on looking at, um, you know, what these, I mean, I have a lot of Mac minis and a Mac studio and I'm, I just can't believe it how much we jumped so quickly. Sky, you had a quick follow-up? Yeah, just as we're kind of running down a rabbit trail of, of CPU and power and horsepower and everything, to own that box and have have to put it in assist in a location is is what I'm traditionally used to doing. But when I heard the guy on Mid Journey saying, Oh yeah, you have access to, you know, 48 C GPUs and CPUs, and it, you're kind of buying a subscription into that horsepower we've got a new era of where does that horsepower live? But yeah, that's a different I, conversation. Sorry. I think, that the, I think the, the issue is, is that, <laughs> that um, you're still, we're still constrained by bandwidth. So, you, oh, yeah. you know, you know, so you have like, how do I go back, back and forth? Is my internet going to stay up? And the, you know that, so you, you, there's a lot of things that, that don't make that much sense there. And you're, you are renting it um, rather than, you know, having something that if I start running CPU, heavy CPUs all night, for photogrammetry, you know, in the in the cloud, that starts to add up, and I've done it. You know, if I start running um, Meta MetaShape on in the cloud, it's super fast. <laughs> like, like I can I can I can get something out there, and it'll do things in minutes there. But then the check comes, <laughs> you know, like you know, you know, and so so the um, uh, we've I've burned up a lot of testing MetaShape uh, on some on some really beefy AWS uh, machines, but I burned up a couple hundred dollars in a day. You know, just just um, you know pushing it, yeah, like to see how far we could go with it. So it was, that was, a, it was a, the, the, the bill was a surprise, uh, how, how hard we pushed it. But, um, 
but it was, uh, it is very, very fast to your point, but it still costs money. So uh, I, I decided I'd rather cook slowly um, at, at home. We've been on this a good little bit of time. And the next question is interesting, Mitch. Richard Bowman from Defiance, Ohio. Can someone please tell me that all these Boston Dynamics robot videos are fake, please? The latest freaks me out just a little bit. Sky, are you freaked out? No. And I mean, that's my answer is no, they're, they're not fake. And I, not, now how I, I don't know that they're not fake. They could be, they, they could have somebody in a motion capture suit and this is all just a CG. But my guess is this is also uh, guys got it showing there. I don't know if we can show it, but yeah, the, here we go. I was in the uh, business of telling generals and, and senators this is where you need to spend the money because this is the future. So my very first job in video production was doing these concepts to get people's minds around the possibilities. And so whether this is fake or not, it's, it's, it's an introduction to an idea that is interestingly, they're not using a military um, surrounding. And I thought the camera work was great. It was just one big jib jib shot. Uh, Alex. So, the answer is yes and no. Um, so yes, it did all those actions. It's capable of doing those actions. No, it didn't think about it or it didn't make those any of those decisions. So those are highly programmed. Every movement, every little bit of what it's doing is being programmed out for to be choreographed. And they built a story around all the coding so that it, it they that guy was up there for a long, you know, for a minute they probably had a team there for a week or a month, you know, like sitting there figuring out what it's going to do. They probably sketched out, sketched it all out and then started programming all the motions and movements that it was going to do. They probably had to do it hundreds of times to get it to where it didn't fall down, didn't, you know, got through the entire thing, everything else. And then they finally brought obviously someone from the company in to talk because that, you know, if, if I was going to spend all that effort, I would have hired an actor. That's all I'm saying. Like when I, when I looked at it, I was like, it's really flat, really flat delivery. So, um, so anyway, but, but yeah, that's, it is absolutely able to do that. It's absolutely not able to make those, make those decisions yet. Uh, obviously they're, they're throwing the ball to where the quarterback will be. If we look at all the AI stuff, so they're figuring out how to make it do the things. And then they're waiting for the AI to come in and be able to actually tell it what to do. Mitch Hill. Uh, Richard, the thought did cross my mind that it might be faked, and I looked at it very closely, including the uh, triple Lindy uh, dismount at the very end, and it is so precise and accurate in terms of every move that the uh, the robot made. I can't see any uh, any flaws at all, so it's got to be real. Keenan Campbell. So on a deployment in my past life, Boston Dynamics brought their dog and that suit and i will tell you one of their demonstrations was to kick the dog over and it got up on its own and it was programmed to chase whoever was in the and so alex part of that's true that it's pre-programmed the the motions are programmed but it did have autonomy it's and they said okay he got on the computer and he goes i want that bad guy and they tapped the screen the bad guy kicked the dog over it laid on its side it got back up the guy ran whatever he wanted to run and the dog followed him it was pretty crazy to see that because there were five other people that were similarly dressed to this guy and it ignored them and went right to the guy it was trained on. So um, the Mitchell, the video is real. Uh, Boston Dynamics is at the forefront and their programming of those motions are 
are are legit. Sorry, it's kind of scary, but it's it's real. John Preto. Alex nailed it. It's exactly what they do. It's probably six to eight months worth of program pre-programming this thing. And and what a great way to raise money, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Nigel Dissau. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I would add is that all of what I think people have said is right, but I think it's improving 10 times a year. You know, there's a 10x multiple happening on the abilities of this thing. Now, maybe it's a million times before it gets to be something that's, you know, different from, no different from a human. But it's a function of time and it's a function of, you know, what rules they're going to apply. So it is something we'll have to watch. Uh, Let's see. Chris Fenwick. You know how, first of all, uh, Boston Dynamics is a government contractor, right? So I want you to think about back when we all used to have offices. When you have a new client come to the office, you clean everything up, right? You put your best foot forward, right? Because you're hoping to get that work. And I, and I think that these videos, it's, it's kind of like the moon landing. I'm not saying they faked it, but if we weren't going to make it by... 1969, we would have faked it, right? Because we said we were going to. Also, uh, I had a nice chat with somebody from Boston Dynamics once they brought the dog to an event and I was shooting a bunch of video of it and talking with the woman that was driving it. And I, and I asked her, I said, j- j- just for clarity's sake, you guys have seen the Terminator movies, right? <laughs> she, she laughed. Jeffrey Powers. So I thought it was Boston Dynamics that I saw at CES, but it was actually a Chinese company, but they were doing the almost exact same thing. They had the dog there. He was handing out like uh, little trinkets to, to different people. And then they had the robot doing like little somersaults and things like that. So, yeah. And they also have Transformers too, which is pretty cool. Alex. And, you know, it, it all depends on how it's being used. Any technology itself is not particularly scary. It's how it, how it may or may not be used. Uh, this, these kinds of things open up all kinds of opportunities uh, in the way that we handle, like, for instance, if we have an uh, a active shooter. There's a lot of things you don't do because you don't have people to, you know, you have to send people in. If you don't have to, I can, you know, you're going to have, at some point, you're going to have a robot in the corner, you know, in a, in a room, uh, in every retail, every school, every whatever that, you know, you know, gunfire goes off and that thing comes out, <laughs> you know, like, you know, and it's going to, you know, like, you know, and, and it's, you know, it, it's going and it, it's going to react in, you know, very, very quickly, um, you know, to that process. And, and so those are the kind of things that we're going to definitely see in the future, it's, you know, going into places, there's already robots that we put into volcanoes. There's robots, obviously that we put on Mars. There's robots that we put in a lot of other places that we can't go as humans right now or don't want to. Um, we're already seeing how this all changes, you know, the changes that have happened in Ukraine over drones, you know, for instance, um, is dramatic. And, you know, when it comes to how war is fought, as much as when planes started to be used, you know, and, and you know, and so it's, uh, it's a really, um, it's going to be a really interesting uh, puzzle. And, and again, there's, there's risks of lots of bad things happening, <laughs> but, but, uh, but I think that uh, there's, there's also a lot of, um, there's a lot of opportunity to, to, to help people as well. Kai. 
release the hounds. Um, this yeah. is ties into the CES discussion. A mentor of mine uh, became a president of a local uh, project management construction company. And he said a couple of years ago, and I was there at CES when he did this, uh, that he, he invited the team to come to CES. And they're like, we're project management people. Why why would we go to the show? One of the things that they discovered at the show was the, one of these types. Of, I think it was the Boston Dynamics or something like it. And now they invested in that company. And uh, it's really helping uh, a couple of years later. Uh, because the dogs are scanning uh, these projects and they're able to tell the client who may be in another country or the project may be in another state or just a physically a different location. They can scan from day to day or hour to hour what dirt's been moved where, what, uh, how many stacks of uh, XYZ deliveries showed up, um, where the electrical's at. So it's really interesting what these dogs can do tw- uh, 24-7. So in the middle of the night, they're cruising around, LIDARing the whole place. And then they can even show it in a different color. So here's what it looked like yesterday. And here's the additions that were added on. So really fascinating. And that can be used to with hollow lenses. So one of the things that, that we've seen with architecture is that someone can put on a hollow lens at, at, at a room and, and see what happened yesterday, see what happened, what's where it was, see how it relates to the plans that were laid out um, to see if they're, everything's hitting accurately. And so, the, and you know, when you talk about the ro- robots as they apply to construction, you know, the graders, you know, the great, the, 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 they're doing things at a precision that a human can't do anymore. <laughs> you know, like like they, they still have humans and they're sitting there, but they're doing, you know, they're they're doing drone shots and LIDAR to figure out exactly how they want to grade um, those things. And the precision is in, in, intense. Chris, can you wrap this up in just a couple of seconds? Real quickly. I just hope somebody at Boston Dynamics has a quote on the wall of their office. It's a Hindu scripture. Oppenheimer said it in July 16th, 1945. Now I am become death destroyer of worlds. Somebody needs to have that on a wall at Boston Dynamics. All right. On that happy note, let's move on to the next question. Andy Kokendorfer from Vieira, Florida, asking anyone familiar with EVS Cerebrum? This broadcast control system looks interesting, but I wonder how EVS is transmitting signals between devices it controls. Alex. Well, the, you know, the EVS... Uh, ecosystem is very powerful, you know, so between edit systems and replay systems and transmission systems, you have to have those. I'm not sure how it's actually putting those all together. We can probably get EPS to come on here as well and talk about it. Um, but they, uh, but uh, it, it, this is a key piece of that puzzle of how do you get all of these things and know where everything is at the same time. So we'll, we'll try to get them on in the not too distant future. Excellent. Uh, oh, Guy had a last minute thought here. Guy, Guy. Yeah, and a tour of the uh, Amazon uh, trucks that were here in Seattle, Bo Cordell was kind enough to show me a little behind the scenes and some of us in after hours. And there was a ton of EVSs there. And thank you for the question, because I hadn't realized that they had this management structure. I just think of them as replay. But as I watched the video that was on the site, it it, it was it reminded me of something that Bo did show us in after hours that he had made it. I believe it's called Garafon, G-A-R-A-F-O-N. And it sh- he made little modules that will show like, is this signal coming from this place? Is this, so it's, it's basically like a Linux you can run on a Raspberry Pi, but it's a little app that you could tie into all your systems and it'll give you red or, uh, or, or so you can trigger certain colors if, if a signal falls offline. So everything's green and he was showing us how all the uh, steady cam, because uh, there's wireless transmission involved with his process. And so it was lighting up green and he's like, it's a good day when everything's green. And, you know, immediately, you know, if there's uh something that's that's wrong but uh, i'll put a link in the chat so you can look further into it because this is like very inexpensive compared to what evs probably is going to try i mean those are for you know trucks millions of dollars with the gear yeah that sounds like a great interface advancement let's go to the next question stefan fisher from Würzburg, germany don't laugh 
I dropped my Apple Pencil in the snow. Is there a way to find it, like with the Where Is app? <laughs> Tom Ferguson. Well, not with the Where Is app, but there are a couple of things you can do. First, you can take your iPad and walk the area and get an idea where it does associate with the Bluetooth, if it's still charged. Uh, if you've got a good idea of where it is, or at least a reasonable idea, the Apple Pencil is magnetic. So I take an old uh, magnet out of a hard drive and tie a string on it, just drag it along and do magnet fishing all the time. That's cool. I, I was going to say the reason I laughed at the start of that is I realized it's pure white. How in the world are you going to find it? Chris Fenway. No, we're laughing at it because it's hysterical, Stefan. Uh, the other thing that you could do, um, if you get your iPhone, um, go to the weather app. And between temperature and precipitation, you can figure out when the snow will melt, and it'll be easier to find. There you go. Next question. Kenny Hampton in Greenville, Illinois. Anyone familiar with the YouTube note-taking Chrome extension SLID? A way to take notes on videos and provide reference marks. Wondering if this is safe. I think it may be a cloud-based and not local looks interesting. Uh, Alex. As a Mac user, <laughs> I kind of feel like I already have that built into screenshot. So command, uh, you know, uh, command shift four uh, will get you most of those things. Uh, I'm not sure what it would add. I mean, maybe as a PC user, it's harder to do those things. But the the Mac screen capture uh, tools are for note taking are very very robust. So I, I don't know if I would use it for for on on a Mac. There you go. Next question, and it's an important one. From Chad Lafarge in Columbia, Missouri, I'm wondering if in Jeffrey Power's recent convention show attendance, he's found anything that would make a good geeky birthday gift. <clears throat> okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're here. Uh, we have been told in the back end that it is Jeffrey Power's birthday today. He is on the panel on his birthday. That means we are required to perform. Okay. Now, uh, is it, now, are you leading it, Bill? I think I'm going to start it off because okay. I'm going to so, up the tempo a little. No, no, so that, no, no. That's exactly the wrong thing. <laughs> so so that we've definitely done this enough that we know that that slow makes it sound way better. So slow, uh, you know, do it slow. Everyone just listens to Bill and tries to sing with Bill. Don't listen to anybody else. Um, Bill's, Bill starts and then we just try to follow Bill and he'll be ahead, but then we'll all kind of come in behind. But it's it, the faster you go, the more of a mess that it makes. All right. So all right. Go well, it's going to be a mess. Let's see what kind of mess it is. I'm going to choose medium tempo. All right. Ready? Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Jeffrey. Happy birthday to you and many more. Okay, that was uh, horrible. <laughs> <laughs> wonderfully horrible. Jeffrey, happy birthday. So glad you're here on the panel today. Uh, Tom Ferguson had a had a note for you, and, and then Jeffrey's going to finish. I just wondered if there was a registry at the DVE store that you had registered with for gifts. Hang on. I can't talk until all the dogs in the neighborhood stop howling out there. Uh, Jeffrey Bowers, <laughs> it's your birthday. Uh, so out of all the presents that I got this morning, this is the only one. Uh, thank you guys very much. I appreciate that. Uh, it was uh, it was it was an interesting experience as as always. So you guys rock, <laughs> and uh, yeah. So let's move on. Good to have you here. Next question. 
Chris Widener from Lafayette, Indiana, asking computer vision and pattern recognition. So, since we can potentially image your image you via Wi-Fi, could this be a good supplement to LiDAR? And Alex is going to start us off here. Oh, I'm sorry. Guy is. Guy. Yeah, it's interesting to roam the floors at CES and see uh, not only what uh, they're using for security purposes, but for cars. So with the Tesla, you would think that they were using LiDAR. They're not They're not using LiDAR. They're, they're using what he's talking about, which is uh, recognition. So you, you're, you're identifying, you know, semi, car, pedestrian, that kind of thing. And the other thing that was interesting there was uh, combining these things. So combining LiDAR with computer uh, recognition, but also FLIR, these, these uh, abilities to to look and see if something is warm. So if you think that it's a human, then light up to see if it's actually warm. And so there's all these things, these conditions that you could start to add in that that can make things confirmed. So it's really interesting to see where this technology is. Alex. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that the FLIR, the FLIR isn't used on all of the auto, <laughs> all the cars should say, I see something hot coming up in front of me and I'm, you know, and I very quickly make a decision about whether I'm going to run into it or not. Um, I think that that I'm, I'm surprised knowing that FLIR has been out for a long time, you know, that, that we don't see these, that that's not part of a standard car system, not all the way around, but right behind it and right in front of it. It seems like knowing that there's something hot would be useful. Guy Cochran. Yeah, that was one of the things in this article that Chris uh, references is just the cost of adding in the sensors. So it's one thing to have these multipliers that, um, you know, are cheap, but then there's these other ones where you're adding, you know, 12 sensors. So in the article, I believe it says something about the, if, if not this article, there was another one that mentioned that Tesla dropped like seven of the sensors that they originally had. So due, due to cost. So it's just like, how do we make this stuff better and faster? And that was a, another theme of CES 2023 was just that everything's getting faster in this, in this computer vision model, the chips and the, the models uh, being able to register and people uploading images or people putting in uh, as a community, there's hundreds of thousands of images now that are uploaded, everything from guns to baseballs to pizzas. I mean, there's so many things that you can trigger dials, gauges uh, that you hit a certain part on the gauge and it sends an email or you can tell it to do different things based on the activity of a physical analog thing. So computer vision is just going to be huge over the next few years. I wonder if we're going to have laptops with radar emitters in them. I used to do the voiceover for McDonnell Douglas, and they had in their military division forward-looking infrared radar back way long, long time ago. It was really fascinating. Next question. Brett Below from Appleton, Wisconsin, asking, My OBSBOT 4K PTZ camera is giving me errors when updating the firmware, and the separate HDMI adapter box occasionally overheats or hums loudly. Has anyone else experienced QA issues like these? Would the Insta360 link have a superior build quality? Jeffrey Powers. Okay, so the first of all, the OBSBOT 4K, yes, there have been issues where updating the firmware because they just changed their whole software on the back end uh, causes the problems. And the only way that I've ever found to fix it when the firmware fails is to actually plug it into another computer and run the firmware that way. Uh, and that's also, I think that's on Windows rather than Mac. Uh, Mac will load up. No, Mac will be the problem. Windows will load up uh, just fine. The second thing that he's talking about is this UVC. It basically it takes the uh, USB-C, plugs it into a box, and then turns that into an HDMI signal to put into your ATEM or anything like that. I'm trying to remember. I have them in the other room. I couldn't grab one. I'm trying to remember if there's a fan inside there. So it's, it might be a quality assurance issue on that. Uh, their customer support is superb. And if you have any problems, let me know because I do have a line with OBSBOT and I can, I can check with you. But 
check first on your own. Uh, as for the Insta360, we did uh, a couple days ago, we did a comparison between the Insta360 and the OBSBOT. Insta360 does have a lot. There, there's back and forth, but Insta360 versus OBSBOT, I would choose the Insta360 link. Alex. Yeah, I have four of the Insta360s, dropped a couple of them a couple times, um, and they all have worked perfectly so far. <laughs> so, and I, I got them little cases and all kinds of other things. So they're, but they're, um, they're great little, little cameras. Next question. All Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas. Paul asks, what's the easiest way to convert a super long URL into a super short URL? Let's start with Sky. Now, I've been using this website for a really long time, so I'm probably ignorant to what it's really doing is capturing my, my security data and taking my credit card, but it's tiny URL. And I put that in the, 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 the messaging link and it takes the big massive uh, thing, consolidates it down to a very tiny one. And then you use that and it uh, lets your people get to where they want to go in a small space. Alex. Yeah, for just general stuff, I use Bitly. It's similar to TinyURL, um, and uh, it, it'll track all the throughputs and everything else. So it gives you a sense of how many people are using it and so on and so forth. Uh, and I, I've used it for, I don't know, since it came out. <laughs> so so I, I've used it for a long time. Um, the When we are doing it for production, we don't want to go through any of those things. And so we just build our own URL. We make up a URL. We pay $8. And we, um, and then we have a URL that we use to put whatever we're trying to get, you know, get to as a pass through. So we actually build them from scratch so that we're not uh, dependent on an external thing. Now, if we're, if we're changing it all the time, it doesn't work. But if you're going to do something you're going to use all the time, um, build a shortened URL that's going to take you to something that might have had a larger URL um, for, for your own kind of work. Uh, it's a lot more secure. You have a lot more control. Harshit. I took a different approach. Uh, I looked at it as if you're emailing somebody a link or information. I would take something like Microsoft Word and, and doing an insert hyperlink or even taking an email doc, uh, like Gmail. And if you do an insert hyperlink, you can make that say whatever you'd like. So rather than saying click here, you could say here is the application. Application would be a hyperlink. Then later on, you could take that uh, link and copy it and the word application will stick with it. So if you were to go anywhere else to share that, uh, like join us for Office Hours global if you click on that you could make people go to specific places really quickly just by having the ver the words that you want the hyperlink to say john preto so i use rebrandly because it allows me to use my own domains and you could have multiple domains and do exactly what alex just uh, articulated there rebrandly they have a free tier jeffrey powers yeah, and tiny URL. You can also pay to uh, put in your own brand, your own uh, URL. What I use is a WordPress plugin, and I just had the name, but just I just lost it. Uh, but basically, what it does is it makes links. So, like for instance, if you go to geekazine.com forward slash YouTube, that'll take you to my YouTube channel. So you could have your own brand in there. Just need WordPress setup. Alex. Yeah, one of the things that I would be careful of is with I, I, a lot of people do do the thing where I click here and then they, they insert a URL. People like me won't click on those. Like that, we, we literally won't. It, it, it becomes this thing like it's seen as a security issue. So we want to see the URL. And so um, if, if someone sends me one of those and it's a client, then a lot half the time I miss it because I just don't, I'm looking for URLs. <laughs> you know, I when I send a URL to someone, I have a paragraph, space, the URL, space, than everything else I'm going to talk about. So, so it's very clear what that's, what that looks like, but be careful of inserting those because it's seen as a kind of a security um, problem uh, for folks that worry about deep links. Chris. 
Yeah, Alex, whenever I see something like that, I usually hover over it or whatever. You can copy link and I examine the link before I actually click yeah, on it. I usually cut and paste it into text edit, then turn it into then right. turn it into text only, then look, you know, and then look at where it's going. But it, it, it becomes a very long process for me. The other reason to use these link shorteners, and I'm surprised with six other people, nobody mentioned this. In today's day and age where everybody is, you know, moving quickly and things are changing often, you can create a link for something for a meeting or an event and say, this is the link it's going to be. But on, I'm pretty sure on most of these things, you can go in as the creator of that and go in and edit that link. So let's say at the last minute, we have to use somebody else's Zoom room or the client says, no, we don't want to use Zoom. We're going to use Teams or whatever. You can, the, the, the link that you shared is still the link, but you're just changing the information underneath that link. Yeah, and the, the reason that I shorten them for the most part, like the number one reason for me to shorten a URL is to make a QR code out of it. So I want to, the shorter the URL, the more robust the QR code will be. And so, um, so because the more information you add to a QR code, the less stable it becomes. And so, um, so I shorten them as short as I possibly can because I'm turning them into a QR code. And then usually what I want to do is put the URL underneath that QR code. So if for some reason it doesn't work, someone can just type it in, you know, so it's ask this live or whatever. Because it, 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 I'm using it, again, most of the time I'm using QR codes with Makana. <laughs> so, so I'm, so I'm uh, you know, I want you to get to the Q&A really quickly and easily. Next question. Douglas Carmichael has a question. I'm getting closer to getting an M2 Pro Mac Mini, and it would cost US $600 more to get a 4-terabyte internal SSD versus a 2-terabyte SSD. Since I have a fair number of virtual instruments, would it be better to have a larger internal SSD or an external SSD? Alex is going to help you out. Yeah, I, I think that... For virtual instruments, you don't need to be on an internal hard drive. You could definitely have that sitting on an external hard drive. It's not going to require the speed that you're talking about there. So uh, I would keep my instruments and my loops, and it's what I do with with Logic specifically. Instruments and loops are on an external drive. Um, you know, so all of that stuff is all the heavy stuff is somewhere else, not on my internal drive. Um, so I don't think that that's going to affect it. I would put as much SSD in as I can put into it because you can't change it later, and it is. I don't. What I don't know yet is whether the Mac Mini has the same one as the Studio, but the Studio is screaming fast, um, so it, it can it can do all those things. But I don't think that that speed is required for instruments or loops to play out of a system. Jeffrey Powers. The only thing that I will suggest to you is to not put your computer to sleep or let it go to sleep while you're in mid process of whatever you're working on because when it comes out of sleep and it doesn't uh, recognize that external ssd it can, and that that's happened to me a couple times you end up rebooting and then you have to relink everything and if you have a very uh in-depth project then you're going to be spending a lot of time relinking all your files next question art aldrich from new york asking I know common wisdom says don't use Dante over internet, but I have VPN between two locations and Dante devices show up in both locations. What is the tech reason not to do this? Alex, start us off. Latency. <laughs> Latency. It, 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 it really, there's a clocking that, that, that Dante's doing. Um, and it is not a, it's, it can't handle any kind of increased latency. It's why it doesn't handle wireless, you know, Wi-Fi as well, very well. Um, the, 
longest that I've seen anybody do Dante is over a university network in the UK. They did about 300 miles from London to Edinburgh or something like that. They clocked both ends so they so that they would be able to tie it back together. And there's an article somewhere on Audinate, I think, that talks about that. Um, but that's about as far as it can go. We haven't seen anybody do it longer than 300 miles um, from two different places. And it was a very clean internet because we're using university connections. Uh, it was a very controlled environment. So when you look at it, you think, oh, you could do all these things when you, if you read that. Um, it's it's a pretty tricky thing to get Dante to work. And when it doesn't, it's really not, really doesn't. <laughs> it's not like it doesn't like a little, it just totally breaks. Mitch. I agree 100% with what Alex said on latency and perhaps uh, bandwidth also. Next question. Next question from Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas. How do you use Notability on the video pencil to have an infinite scroll? We have been really talking this up in after hours. Alex. Well, hopefully we'll do some more labs in after hours to talk about it. I don't think that we're, a lot of us here are equipped to talk about that, but um, it would be great to, I think that Michael is going to be doing, he did a lab, I, was it yes, yes, yesterday, um, that, uh, that, that I think a lot of people are pretty excited about. So hopefully we'll do some more. Next question. From Douglas again, I remember from trips to the airport when I was younger that the French announcements were always in a female voice while the English and Spanish announcements were in both male and female voices. Why should that be? Alex. You know, they, they make a lot of decisions about cultures <laughs> and, what, and what voices that culture wants to hear and, uh, and, so, and, and what that elicits. Um, so that could be part of, the, part of that um, decision process. Also, uh, voices are switched back and forth for contrast so that if you, you know, what they want you to know that if you're hearing a male voice um, for, and it may not be for all announcements, but they may say, well, we want male voices for this and female voices for this. So one might be a directive, another one might be a guide, and they're making decisions about what sounds more or less aggressive. Nigel? Yeah, I was just going to say, you'll find they A-B test these things in different airports with different effects and to see what's more successful. What I don't understand is some of the U.S. airport announcements, they are so cross and so unhappy. The particular was at LAX the other day, and it was, it is illegal to be in this airport unless you have a ticket. And it's like, really? That was they the, got your attention is that the successful they, but, way to talk to your passengers? But you were listening. You were listening. When it said it's legal to be in the airport, you're like, uh, and see, now they got you. They, they, I'm sure that there was a bunch of discussions about that. Like, if we tell you that if we start off with the soft thing, you won't hear the hard thing. So, yeah. Uh, Mitch Hill. The blue lines are for parking only. And uh, basically, people will pay attention to, to a male voice, but they would pay more attention to a female voice in uh, typical situations like that. Chris Fenwick. This is part of the reason why I don't fly anymore. I have announced to my clients, I don't fly anymore. Uh, I've been turning down work all over. Anyway, uh, I actually, th there's a whole branch of the Fenwicks that live in France. Uh, uh, I have French relatives, and um, apparently in France, it's not cool for men to be voiceover talent. That might be it. Interesting. I wonder, I'm not a linguist at all, but I do know that in some languages, there's masculine and feminine forms of like verbs and things like that. And you have to match them to, you, you can sound like a non-native just by getting your internal sentence structure wrong in terms of its masculine, feminine pronoun things or whatever. I, I, again, I don't know much about that, but I've heard that as a deal. Let's go to the next question. And it's from Douglas Carmichael again. Would a cooling pad or base like the Speed Designs Mini Cooling Base used with the Mac Mini make a difference with sustained performance 
under load. Are there any that the panel recommends? Mitch Hill's going to help us with that. Mitch? Um, I, I've seen the uh, device in questionnaire. It just looks kind of goofy. Um, I understand what it's trying to do, uh, to place a fan underneath the unit. And I would think that that might interfere with some of the uh, inner workings on the uh, the M1. Um, I just prefer putting a Noctura, a Noctua, uh, Noctura fan off to the side. I have an under-desk U-shaped metal panel. The Mini sits in it, and the Noctura is blowing air across it. That seems to get the job done. Alex? I don't think it'll make any significant difference. It'll be interesting to test, but I, I, I doubt it would it would do much. All right, we've reached the top of the hour, and I'm looking forward to the next hour because uh, we had at least multiple people from the panel here today, and they've come in. Uh, go to CES, to the Consumer Electronics Show. For those of you who might have missed the first part of the show, it is one of the biggest trade shows traditionally in Las Vegas. It covers everything having to do with consumer electronics, from refrigerators to stereo equipment to home automation to just tons of other stuff. And so um, there are multiple members of uh, who are here on the panel today. And um, I think Keenan's going to start us off with kind of an overview of what this year's CES felt like, Keenan? Yeah, thanks, Bill. It was uh, huge, to say the least. This was my first CES, and and Preto had said everybody needs to go to it. We you need to be there once. Uh, I think we walked twelve miles per day, according to the Apple Watch Ultra, and it was exhausting to say the least. So, uh, and we really want to talk more about you know, kind of the BTS of CES. Jeffrey's been going for a long time. So I'm going to, I'm going to throw the football to him and let him kind of talk a little bit more about how we did the production. And and it was really just Guy, Jeffrey and I that were walking around doing everything. So Jeffrey, take it away. So, yeah, uh, I've been going to CES for the last uh, 15 years now, and it's been it's always been a great event. I started out uh, doing the show floor. We did live streams for a little while, and I started by uh, going to the NBC Universal booth, and they gave us an hour to do a live stream from. They said, well, what if we did our own live stream? That's that's great. So uh, and then I did that for a little while. And then, of course, I, I just enjoy going to the show to do by foot stuff. So that's what I've been doing the last few years. This year was a little bit different, of course, with Keenan and Guy there. It's great to actually watch them uh, and and have people that help uh, go through different things and 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 talk about uh, talk about what's going on. Uh, and so, but what I did was I changed up my flow. Last year, I used the DJI Pocket, which was a great small camera, 4K. The only problem is when you're trying to move a joystick around while you're talking to somebody, you, you're just overshooting everything. So this year, I've done this before with the Insta360 uh, One X, which, uh, which was great for a, a food show I did because I could pass the camera above and then I could set it up in HD. So it looked like I had a drone flying across the thing. But when the uh, Insta360 uh, RS one inch came out with the ability to put in a wireless uh, wireless or a microphone for that matter, and then have it hidden right on the uh, thing. That that's when I jumped on. It. I, I knew this is what I was going to use for my CES action, and I was super impressed with it because not only did I get the shots, 
get the uh, angles that I needed, but I can also do a lot of other things. So let me let me just show you some really quick stuff here. First of all, this was the one of the first interviews we did. We were we were getting ready, and we saw these two guys in the press room, and they were talking about this uh, this prosthetic hand that uh, that he's wearing right there. And so we we ended up seeing them in. This is the West Hall, and we I just set down the camera, which is technically right there. You only see the tripod of the camera. That's the beauty of this, the, the invisible stick. And then I use that to frame the shots that I needed to. So if that I can do that, and then I could actually spin it around, and we could see Guy playing with the uh, prosthetic hand that has button control to that, and then bring that back and forth. And it was great, because I got some great shots. I could frame everything like this shot right here. I find it really, there we go. As guys getting ready, and the, the Bill uh, Saint Pierre, I think is his name, he takes the uh, the arm and just goes, boom, like that, and splits the wood. So we, I wouldn't have gotten a shot like that if uh, if I was in a. Uh, if I was just using a camera, so uh, that's pretty cool. But so we got some we got some great shots like that, and by doing that, I could I could easily get anything. This is a guy, and this is the 3D desk that we saw, which is a uh, stand stand sit desk that moves around great for uh, camera stuff. I think I know exactly, after talking with Sky yesterday, I know exactly what the uh, guy's going to probably use this desk for. So, uh, But with that, I can switch back and forth. And the coolest thing about that was I can I can come in here, and I, real, I didn't realize it till like the fourth video in, is like, wait a minute, I have two one-inch sensors coming from this camera. So why not take it and get to a point where I can show him and I can show myself? So all of a sudden, now I got a picture-in-picture picture up in the corner, me talking to the uh, person that's, that's talking, and then uh, straight on with the product. So uh, that added to everything. Plus, I can have a lot of fun with twisting and turning the, uh, the camera around in the post stuff. Or, and, and the last part is, uh, on the last day, I, I work with a lot of Korean startups. Uh, I judge Korean startups uh, on a regular basis. So in 2018, 2019, I was in, at Korea like seven times uh, that whole time uh, judging startups. And we did that at CES. I interviewed 50 companies at once. And I'm putting together, it's going to come out next week. It's a full two and a half hour video of each company. And it's going to be in full 360. So it's like you're at the event. You can put on your uh, your VR headset and watch it from there. Uh, and uh, so it, it just added a lot more to my, to my workflow. Plus, I also uh, did the uh, the uh, YouTube shorts, the TikToks, and you got if you go over to youtube.com forward slash geekazine, you can see all of that. Uh, but it was it was a very different workflow from years past, and just bringing a regular camera, and I was really impressed. And the best part is it it was all lightweight, so I just had a small bag on my back and a tripod to hold. I think we're going to go to Keenan next, but for just a minute, Jeffrey, what was the camera that you used? I think people would be interested. You mean the one I showed? Yeah. What, what was the, taking those shots? That was the Insta One, the Insta Three Hundred and Sixty uh, One. This is their their one inch dual sensor, one inch uh, Three Hundred and Sixty camera. Cool. Thank you. And Keenan is up next. Keenan. Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna toss it back to Guy. 
So we'll get ah, guys' okay. thoughts on the, the production. Yeah, I just wanted to back up and talk about the overview of the show. So CES is the largest trade show in the world. So, I mean, when you think about that, it's it's pretty overwhelming. So to, 2020, the numbers were 171,000. 171,000 people. I mean, Las Vegas definitely knows that we show up, you know, like all these tech guys walking around with badges. I mean, 171,000 people. This year, the stat was 115,000. And you'll see it divided uh, across a number of different uh, uh, genres. There, there's automotive. So this this year in the West Hall, for, for those of you who have been to a convention there, the West Hall is a new um, facility. Uh, it's across the street from the North Hall. So a lot of us have probably gone to NAB and remember the South Hall. So there's for this show, there was Central, which is where uh, we'll be concentrating mostly on because this is uh, pertinent to, to Office Hours, uh, Audio, Video, Gaming, Metaverse, XR. But there was a lot of fascinating stuff in some of the other uh, areas like uh, AI, Robotics, Digital Health, Enterprise, FinTech, IoT, Vehicle and Tech. Uh, and then in West Hall, it was a, a lot of vehicle tech and advanced mobility, things that, that you'll you'll be seeing in the future that I was kind of surprised that we're, we're there. And I'll show you some of the images. One of the, one of the most fanc- fascinating one was from... Um, Caterpillar. So um, imagine seeing something the size of a house driving down a field autonomously. So seeing things like that is, is just pretty shocking because the sheer scale uh, to see a something that where the wheel is taller than you and it's just driving itself. It was pretty amazing. And I'll, I'll bring up some images here in a second, but I just wanted to bring us to the global view of what uh, what the show is and and who shows up and and why I think what we're seeing there is a, a lot of buyers people that uh, buy for like a Best Buy or uh, they they need to know what's what's coming down and so the evolution even just between I've been going since 2018 seeing things like um, the the goggles uh, get better and better so the the first one that I bought was Oculus Oculus showed them I bought them there the the day that I saw them. And uh, the first ones were pretty gritty. Like you, there was a lot of dot pitch there and uh, the newer, the quest, it's just the stuff gets better and you watch the evolution over three, four or five years and you just know some of this stuff is going to come and it's going to, it's going to take form. So the one that I really saw in droves was just the AI and uh, computer vision. That was something that really was pretty, pretty shocking uh, over years past. It's just getting so much faster. And so that was a, a dominant force at the show was computer vision and stopping by the PTZ optics booth, we were able to see how they're using it. It's pertinent to to our realm where maybe we have somebody who plays uh, an instrument at a, at a church function or a choir or something like that, where you want a person who holds microphone, track them across the stage. If they run in front of the guitarist, don't focus on the guitarist and you can, you can have the computer learn and it's just a chip. So that's the difference is we've had this stuff in AWS where you could send up feeds It'll say, okay, that's a package, that's a pet. But now you can actually upload these models directly into the chip of the camera. So it's not going to the web to go look at something and report back. It's native to the chip. So that's another fascinating thing. Uh, I'm also fascinated by what uh, Jeffrey was showing with his production. I mean, uh, in a second here, if you guys want to see it, I'll show you guys what it looked like. Uh, I staged it as a question about how we transmitted video from the field. And uh, I'll toss it back over to Keenan talk about a little bit how uh, we initially tried just RTMP and then how we tried SRT. Go ahead, so, so we were we were trying to figure out, everybody always says that the trade shows, it's such a cellular dense area, you can't get a signal out, you can't get a signal out. And so Jeffrey and I brought my router, which bonded 
AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile. And we were in the middle of Central Hall and it worked. It was it was pretty slick. We were sending out via, we had a my router, a power supply, and a camera, and a web presenter. And we were we were sending picture out live to YouTube from the middle of the show floor. I think what's happening is because of the issues of past years that the cellular carriers are putting BDAs in the buildings to give you better coverage, better capacity. Um, we, we didn't see any issues with cellular. It was actually solid. We were pushing a, a 1080p stream up. And then later on, Guy and I did some SRT testing, which I'll let him go into further. But the other thing we had was press Wi-Fi. So because I had credentials as an influencer, and Jeffrey also had that, we we were able to get on the press Wi-Fi that was throughout the buildings. And it was a pretty solid connection too. So they're definitely, fo- I mean, Vegas is the, the king of trade shows, and they understand the pain points that exhibitors, attendees, everybody faces. Uh, one interesting thing that we didn't consider, and Jeffrey brought it up later, was we can actually borrow a studio space. CES has elevated studio platforms that we can reserve. So in in the future, if Office Hours wanted to do a global production from the floor, we could rent those studio spaces for free, put our, put our gear up there, and uh, have our own talk show if you wanted to do it that way or however we want to work it. So that was something, this was my first year. I went as I was credentialed as an influencer, which opened the door for the vendors. And, and I'll, I'll give kudos to Jeffrey because when people saw that you were a digital content creator and you weren't just a, an attendee, they, they kind of, they treated you differently at the booth. So we'll talk more about that later, but it was, it was interesting. Hey, Keenan, in the midst of a couple of minutes, you used the term BDA. Is that, is that just a broadcast distribution amplifier? It just struck me that Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Be, yeah, broadcast distribution amplifier. So we were seeing uh, 5G ultra wideband from Verizon. I was seeing T-Mobile. All of the router was reporting five bars um, and ping, sub 10 millisecond ping times. So <laughs> obviously the carriers were doing something in these buildings and they've worked with the convention center to bring fiber to the BDAs. It was, we, we didn't have any connectivity issues. Half the time we get separated because Jeffrey would go off one way and Guy and I would be standing there and we, we were texting and doing find my iPhone trying to find each other because it, it, it is massive. We, we really needed nine of us to cover everything. We were there day after day after day and we still maybe hit 2% of what we wanted to see. It was, it's just massive. So I, I will take Prado's advice. Everybody needs to go to CES at least once. That's a long distance from me going the first year I went and getting one bar if I was lucky. So I'm really glad to see that they're revising that. And that should be bode well for the future of office hours at these big trade shows. Uh, let's hit on to our first question. Mitch, what do we got? John Preto from Las Vegas, did you see any published numbers on attendance and did it feel busy? Uh, Jeffrey's going to help us, Jeffrey. So I went last year and uh, it was it was pretty dead. Uh, this year uh, we had a, it was a, like 115, 120,000 uh, people. It was it was it was great because it felt more like CES. But you know when I went to Unveiled, which is the event before CES that basically puts all the 
uh, nominees and award winners into a room so you can go from table to table to table to get your interviews uh, instead of walking the big hall. That was, uh, that was a lot more crowded than it was last year, uh, but it was still lower than, the, uh, than most years. And of course, there's always an ebb and a flow to this. I, mean, I remember 2008 when uh, Las Vegas went through their uh, building issues and we almost went through a really big recession. 2009, 2008 was pretty big. 2009 just kind of shrank. And then it grew up from there. We don't see, as, as Keenan said, we don't see 100% of CES. In fact, there, you know, if you go to the ARIA, that's, that's all NFT, crypto, digital influencers. Because we had two different types of media badges. You had the media and you had the digital influence badges this, badges this year. And then, of course, there's, at different hotels, there's a different things. There's one hotel that's dedicated to OTT television where Google and, and Amazon will live to try and get uh, get sponsors for their ads or or new shows or, or anything like that so there's there's a lot of different factions that are involved inside of uh, inside of there so we only see maybe at best 20 to 30 percent and that's like 30 football fields worth of content for those who might not be familiar with OTT it stands for over the top and it's the kind of web broadcasting that's not regular terrestrial broadcasting Keenan yeah, it, it definitely was. We were, uh, Fenwick and I went to SEMA at the same convention center just a few months prior. And I will tell you that CES was tenfold to the, to SEMA. It just felt so busy. Um, transportation was an issue because now that you, you can walk to a lot of the buildings, but now they're using all these other hotels. We had to get to the Venetian. We, you know, so the, 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 I will tell you if you've never ridden in the boring company's tunnel, it is actually a truly efficient mechanism for moving between those buildings. It it really is a genius idea. I know it, it took some uh, it took some heat and some scrutiny for for the project, but the three of us jumped in a Tesla. The, the guy drove us to the next location. We were there within minutes. We couldn't walk faster than that. It was it was really great. The buses were the, the neat thing is Las Vegas does this so much. They have the transit buses ready to go. So you jump on a transit bus and send you to the next building so it was it, it was definitely busy everywhere we went for transportation was packed the food courts were packed i i feel like it's back and next year will probably be even bigger than ever let's go to the next question jack cannon from phoenix arizona how was the experience as press differ from the attendee experience at ces Keenan. well i'll tell you a little story about why my life is complete so I had the digital influencer badge and that in itself is kind of a, it, it took a lot to get approved. You have to submit your YouTube views and you have to prove you're who you are and go through this process. So once we got that through, Jeffrey says, well, I'm up in the press lounge, come on up. Well, Jeffrey had an influencer badge. So we were walking up there and Guy had an attendee badge as the owner of the DV store. So we walk up and this little lady in security goes, oh, I'm sorry, sir. You, you can't come in here. And I looked at her and I said, he's with me. And she goes, okay, he's good. So for once in my life, I outranked guy at the DVE store and I got to bring him into the press room that we were interviewing him. And that, that set the tone for the whole week. But it's interesting to see how the exhibitors recognize the colors of your badge, the little bar, and they see green for an industry person. They see orange for media or an influencer. And Jeffrey kind of taught us our his ways of they, they really cater to the people that are going to influence their product. And it was 
It was an interesting experience, obviously my first CES, but we felt like royalty with the leather couches and the free meals and and they really do go out of their way for the press and the media and influencers. So it was it was excellent. Jeffrey, your thoughts? Yeah, uh, press press gets a special some special uh, uh, ability to it. Uh, like for instance, the first day the CES unveiled, be able to go to that and and do the one on one interviews. However, there is a lot of difference in the badges uh, for press. Like for instance, technically, if you had anything other than press and you were to set up a camera and do a recording of a booth, it, uh, in years past, you were you were asked to take it down because it was that's what press was there for, uh, and exhibitors couldn't do that. However, there are booths in, at CES that you go to that is just basically maybe they're uh, like for instance you'll see a lot of Shenzhen uh, booths and uh, they they they're basically selling their products in bulk. They're looking for distributors inside the United States to sell their products via catalog or anything like that. So that's something that I wouldn't normally interview. So they're not looking for interviews. They're looking for uh, people that are distributors. There's other companies that have a brand new product that they, they hope to get media attention, but they're more looking at the VCs that show up to the show to uh, invest in the money uh, or to invest money into their products so they can either come to the United States, add to their distribution, or whatever, so you have little different areas that uh, that different badges mean different things. Uh, so media definitely does get some really cool stuff. Like for instance, we get lunch, which uh, they don't have to provide, but they do, and they do that at NAB as well with the media. So it's it's a really great experience, uh, and then you can. You know, a lot of times you can cut lines to get the interview, but you know you just don't want to be pushy about it because you know there are other people there at the show as well. Let's go on to the next question. Next question from Chris Fenwick in Emeryville, California. Keenan, on multiple occasions, I've tried to explain the mobile router you've been promoting. Understandably, I don't really understand it. Can you please <laughs> give us a complete rundown? Keenan. I, I don't know if I can explain it for Chris to understand it. So what we did was we partnered with a company. Um, it's a bonded cellular router. Um, it's different than than the Pepwaves or other brands, the Sierras, things like that, because it bonds to AWS. So it takes your three connections and it pushes them up to AWS and then brings them out on the cloud. So we did some testing with it at CES. It was it was very solid. You only need one cellular carrier. It'll use all three. It'll use Starlink or the WAN. Uh, we primarily are targeting it for the disaster market, but the, the router takes the user out of it and they don't have, they turn it on, plug in, and they have internet or Wi-Fi. So we've tried to simplify it to uh, Fenwick terms. Sorry, we don't always do that very good, but it, it truly is a bonded solution to AWS on the back end. So we were we were pushing SRT, and I know Guy will show a little bit of. Uh, hopefully, he has the pictures queued up. So we did some testing outside of the first SRT feeds to YouTube, and it worked worked really well. Chris, do you need to defend yourself? No, I don't need to defend myself. I'm fine being beat down by Keenan. Um, the question I had, Keenan. Can do you have any sort of um, facilities to monitor while it's working which uh, cellular service it's getting the best? Uh, it's using the most. Can you see like you know you have ATT, T-Mobile, whatever, and it says, oh well, it turns out the T-Mobile is the one that's getting the best signal here. 
Yeah, we do. Um, it has a web portal that shows if you have one router or a thousand routers, you can click on the actual router. It'll tell you its online status, its static IP address to the cloud. And it'll also give you the usage on each carrier, the signal strength. Everything can be done via web browser. So we've tried to take that local login out of it. So if you had multiple routers throughout, you know, a live, if we had, for instance, if we're at CES, we may have a router in each building to try to get different feeds out. So I could look as the, as the IT guy Admin. and look at the portal and go, okay, Chris Fenwick in the West hall, um, Preto in the East hall, Jeffrey in the Aria, wherever they are. And I can look at the routers and see what one's getting the best, data and as well as how much data you're using. So yeah, all that's built into a portal. I would love to know, you know, I think we mentioned this earlier that, you know, uh, Vegas is always making the experience better uh, technically and uh, with Wi-Fi and cellular coverage. I'd love to know the metrics on just how much technology they've added to improve those experiences just in the last, well, maybe since COVID, like was, was stuff done? I know we don't know, but it'd be interesting to know. Well, they rebuilt that entire West Hall. I mean, that's, that was not there. That was a parking lot before. Jeffrey? So in years past, and this happened at uh, CES, South by Southwest on AB, uh, companies like AT&T would come in and reinforce their routers. So you'd actually see repeaters uh, sitting on stands uh, in the hallway uh, to, to try and add to that. Uh, of course, this being not as... Uh, verbose as, as most of the years, uh, we had a lot better signal uh, going back and forth. But uh, I have a feeling in the years to come, one of the products I actually saw, it's actually pretty cool. It started out as glass for the microwave. And you know how you don't want to have microwaves coming through. So they have this like little halftone looking thing on your microwave. So you can't see through it. Well, this company called Meta, Meta Materials um, made this glass so you can actually see through it. Now, I was geeking out on that, but then the guy goes, wait a minute, there's more. And I go, okay. So he shows me this, uh, this pane of glass, and of course, he's got a floor right in front of it. And he's showing, he says, with a little bit of electrical, electricity, this thing will heat up and uh, keep your house warm. And I said, well, that's great. And I was about to end. He goes, but wait, there's more. And he goes, there's more to this? And he goes, yeah. And the best part about this is that this is actually will help with any 5G signal. So you put up glass throughout your, your home, and then, uh, and then, of course, that's going to amplify any type of 5G signal. Now, I showed you when we were at the West Hall. Let me do that again. Uh, there's a big pane of glass sitting right there at the West, West Hall. Imagine this, uh, that glass being in this, uh, in this front area a little bit of charge in there, and then all of a sudden, everybody's Wi-Fi signal has just gotten boosted by a hundredfold. It's going to be crazy when that when that uh, technology comes in, and I, I can't wait for that to happen. But uh, we we definitely did have a great signal. We had a lot less drop, even with NAB. I remember standing in one spot in Central Hall, just trying to connect to the camera with my phone, and I was only like um half a meter away from it and i couldn't connect to save my life so i this is just it's getting a lot better and we'll see a lot of uh mobile connections and peer-to-peer uh, -peer, uh type connections throughout uh, throughout the show guy conquer yeah the nice thing about these bonded signals nowadays is is that it's all done for you so the the, the uh, 
system that Keenan's sh showing is one that uh, you don't have to think about it. So in the past, tw 2014, my first experience with AWS was when Teradek told me I had to build a Sputnik server in the cloud on Linux. Well, I had no familiarity with Ubuntu or any of this, but I had them walk me through and I set up my AWS account. And it was a challenge. And I had one device and I had to buy all these cellular carriers and I had to keep them all on. So nowadays, it's super simple to just get one one device for one carrier everything works so that that's really to help you out chris that, that's really what it is it's simplicity it's not having to sign up for each carrier it's not having to set up the cloud uh, bonding service and it just it just works nice next question next question from jonas dattel in stuttgart germany how are people producing video from the show floor guy start us off well i was impressed i couldn't get in the lunchroom no uh <laughs> but you're not angry so, about that. Uh, I got lunch, though. I, I have fun. Yeah, I wound up having lunch with them anyway. I, I always like to go to these shows and see what other folks are using and how how they're... Oh, yeah, there's that yellow press badge right there. Um, I like to see what cameras folks are using, what microphones, uh, what lighting. So in this example, we've got a, a Shep Seamit up there. It's not the blue one, but it is It is that Seamit 5U. We've got some uh, Astra uh, light panels uh, you can see here on stands, and they are uh, running off of V-mount batteries. You can see that boom pole. You can see this a Sony FX9 on a Sockler or O'Connor. It looks like O'Connor heads. And you can see the staff. You've got your camera operator. You've got your audio guy who's behind the camera and then a producer. And then you got your talent. So this is how we've seen a couple uh, different folks, you know, working, working proper uh, either lives or these are hits that'll go to, uh, you know, some of the, the major broadcaster. It could just be that the, the exhibitor is hiring a crew to come in and do this. And the sound guy was nice enough to pop open his, his bag and show me all the stuff he was using with his sound devices. And, and, uh, let me see if I can find the actual bag. No, that's actually, here's another one that we saw. Same type of thing. We've got the, um, the light panels, Astra, really cheap cameras, like some HDMI, maybe Canon or JVC cameras. But this was a show that was going out to Yahoo. And as I zoomed in, you know, you'll notice a lot of you that own ATEMs will notice that there's an ATEM there. Uh, they were feeding it into Livestream Studio. And I don't know if that was because uh, it uses Zixi, uh, but she's their producer checking her phone. She's looking at the feed, but three camera shoot, you could see the angles there. So it's, uh, you know, uh, anchor, you've got your guest, and then you've got, so single, single, and then a two up uh for the wide shot. So uh, that's how we saw some folks, uh, and this was hardwired. So if you if you meet with the people in advance, you can get hardwired connections. I'm not sure if this one was a fee-based one or there's other ones that are fee-based where you have to pay for your internet. But some, according to uh, Jeffrey, there's some that we might be able to even use next year if we... Uh, I like yeah. that power. Go back to that. I like that power strip hanging in the air. Did you see that? Yeah, in the lower it's ready to come corner? undone. That's always some, be professional. That's always some professional. pro. That's a pro know. install right there. That's how you do it. It's one of the new that's levitating power strips. They're very, very yeah, impressive. And, and that's how you put your HDMI's off, right? You don't tie them off or anything. You just make a big mess. Ah, Jeffrey uh, Powers. We there's there's a gamut of different uh, video, and this has been for years. I remember my first CES was 2009, and we were doing uh, what we called back channel. So we had the big Panasonic over the shoulder rig, and then uh, and then I had the little uh, 
Kodak ZI8. And the cool thing about the ZI8 is it had a microphone port. So uh, Todd, Todd Cochran, no relation to, uh, to Guy, Todd Cochran runs Blueberry. Uh, and he gave me a wireless unit, and then we attached it to that, and we kind of made that into a second unit. And a lot of people saw that, and it made me realize that this disrupting the video of uh, of CES was a, was a thing that was going to happen. And then the next year, I saw a lot of people doing that exact same thing. So for the show floor, you see a whole range of everything from high-end professional cameras, people with, with carts uh, uh, of, of gear, which, by the way, there are rules that you have to follow if you bring a cart onto the show floor. Uh, you can't bring your bags on the floor, and if you have suitcases, you, there, there were bag checks to, uh, to put that into. But uh, you had the high-end uh, cameras and gear like Guy was showing. Then you have the uh, prosumer level, you know, uh, simple cameras, uh, small Canon or Sony type cameras with wireless microphones. You saw a lot of road go. I stood. I stayed away from the 2.4 gigahertz Wi-Fi because last year when I used it with the DJI Pocket 2, if I went past six feet, that I all, all of a sudden lost connection because the wireless signals were bouncing. This one right here is actually UHF based. So, and I have. Uh, between uh, 24 different channels, and it's actually two lav systems, so I had between 24 channels to switch if I did get any type of interference, but I didn't for the show, which was great. Uh, you have people with phones on gimbals, you have you had people doing 360, you had people, it, it was just a whole range of different things. And then the other thing about press is what they do is they'll have a crew that's, that's actually getting the interview, and then you'll have the runner that'll take it up to the press room where somebody's sitting on uh, two or three people could be sitting in laptops. They get the media. They're instantly uh, uh, bringing it down to something that was bite-sized, throwing it up on YouTube or wherever they're throwing it up on, and then and then going back and forth on a workflow right there. So there's it's just it's just a full range of people. If you can think of of a workflow to make it happen to get video done, it happened there at CES. Keenan Campbell. Yeah, Jeffrey kind of stole my thunder. They did let you bring bags in, but you had to go through the security check. So once we did that, um, we just walked right through. So it was kind of nice for the carts and we, you know, you can get stuff approved. And if we wanted to do it next year for office hours, we could, we could work that out with the media stuff. It was interesting to see how many people were shooting packages out on the floor. And like Jeffrey said, the runners going up and we had really great internet in the, uh, the media lounge and they had interview rooms set up so you could actually like we brought guy cochran in for an interview and he came into the media room and we they, that's how it was allowed that okay you're going to interview this person and then take him in the room and then the editors were just sitting there everywhere there was an entire i don't know if you want to call it a cubicle farm or whatever you would so leather couches then a cubicle farm behind it with just editors doing packages, sending them to all the media outlets as fast as they could. The other side of it that we, I didn't realize I was going to get access to was the CES B-roll. So they had all of these packages, all the keynotes, everything, everything that was played out at the show during any of the pr presentations, we had access to download the video, use it for non-commercial purposes. So that saved us a lot of time. We covered the Ram uh, Revolution EV truck and it made the package easier. I did a quick stand-up intro 
show and then we cut to a, a condensed version of the keynote. So that really improved the, the production value for us because somebody had already done a lot of the, all the B-roll was there for us. So if you wanted time lapses of the show floor, they had them there for you, the opening of the show. So for the editors, they had more packages to, or more uh, B-roll packages to choose from that were already pre pre curated for us. So that really, that was really slick, but it's something if we're going to do this next year, there's going to have to be the online live component for office hours. And we're going to need editors, somebody sitting in the press room, figuring out the packages and then pushing those to YouTube or wherever we want to send them. So guy. Yeah. That press, uh, uh arsenal of, uh, pre-canned footage was pretty amazing to look through with Keenan later that evening. I was like, wow, these are very nice shots. And some of them were like jib shots. So you wouldn't have brought a jib to the show. So to have somebody else get you that nice sweeping shot, and then you can use it in your production is pretty cool. Uh, one of the other folks that was there from the Office Hours gang is uh, Noah Sargent. So Noah had a huge cart. Uh, he was doing a live stream from there. And so cleaned up. No, Chris, Noah dangling um, power. Well, maybe... Ruthless review time, but you'll notice that he was using an ATEM. Um, he he brought in this big cart, so the the monitor, huge monitor. I, I'd assume that's about a fifty inch or so, maybe bigger. And uh, the gentleman was uh, right there. You could see over the shoulder, and we had uh, uh, somebody on comms. It looks like he's using some Hollyland comms. You got audio, uh, wireless. Uh, looks like Sure Wireless. Uh, really nice setup. But that's how some of the the big guys come rolling in, like uh, our own Noah Sargent. There you go. Uh, beautiful coverage there. Let's go to the next question. Jack Cannon, Phoenix, Arizona, asking, with all of the RF issues at CES, did you consider hardwired audio solutions? Starting with Jeffrey. I always have a hardwired solution. I'm glad I don't have to use it as much. Like I said with last year, using the 2.4 gigahertz wireless, I was going to, I had a solution there too, just in case, but uh, I, I was going to try and use it as little as possible. Um, but uh, with this camera, it is it is a uh, three and a half millimeter jack that plugs in here. So I did have a wire lav type uh, unit that I've used before and that works really well. Uh, but this one, uh, with now with the digital uh, RF uh, uh, controllers that you have out there, it's it's not that difficult, and you don't get too much interference. It happens, but it, it, not as much as it used to. Guy Cochran. Yeah, on the previous shot where I was showing the behind the scenes of that crew, uh, when he showed me inside of his bag, uh, I said, where's your hop? And he said, here's the cable. <laughs> it's like, There's no wireless hop. It's it's a cable. It's an XLR cable. And he was saying that he's been burned in the past. And so he he was hardwired from his mixer bag to, and it was a sound device 633. That's the nice thing about um, having an XLR out is you can feed one or two cameras. And so he was hardwired, but uh, his talent did have a... Uh, he had an SRB or SRC receiver in the bag, and then he had a uh, the little tiny electro transmitter. I can't remember the, the exact model number, but that's what he was using. Then I have another picture to show you guys. Again, I, I love seeing whether folks are using. So in this example, uh, it looks like a C500. It's on a Benro tripod, got a teleprompter. He's got some wireless audio there. It looks like a electro. But the interesting thing here, which a lot of people don't know about, is this little bow tie looking shark fin. Uh, what this does is you can actually say 
I only want uh, six, 500 to 600 megahertz. Ignore everything else. And so that's what this antenna, these dipole antennas will do. So in professional, and this is one, one of the reasons to hire a sound guy, a proper sound guy, you know, uh, has these kinds of things and, and is prepared, knows how to use them, knows how to do the frequency scans, and you won't take hits. And then they have backups, of course, hardwired, ready to rock and roll just in case something uh, doesn't work out. In this case, this guy has, you know, he's, he's double system sound. He's got, uh, you know, the, the shotgun mic boomed above and he's not killing himself uh, running it. He's got it on a C-stand. So he thought ahead, brought the C-stand. And then you've got the wireless handheld in case that presenter does uh, want to, you know, hand the mic off to somebody else or put it in front of them because they're not in the pattern or if somebody turns to show, demonstrate something and that's on the shelf. So interesting. Hey, ways guy, can you go wide different. on that shot? I just realized that's that he's got a sound bag balanced on a mobility cart for someone. Yes, I was going <laughs> to say the same thing. It's it's a medical walker that he's yeah, got exactly. his gear on. Interesting use. Yeah, brilliant use when you think about it. Let's see if we can get that shot up on the on the feed. Uh, it just goes to show you the innovation that people go to. Uh, you don't always have to buy something purpose built. And I think one of the things I love about this industry is people just invent creatively ways to get problems solved. Chris, did you have another thought or was that what you wanted to bring I was, was going to mention the same thing. Yeah. Okay. I saw that one. Wow. I know that shape. Uh, next, next question. Next question in from Paul Buchan in Columbus, Ohio. Now that the show's over, is there anything you missed that you wished you had seen or spent more time at? Keenan. Well, just like SEMA, you'd never have enough time. And the the problem is the more you try to plan it and, you know, we kind of game planned every night. What do we want to see? Jeffrey had some things that he wanted to hit. Guy saw some things. But a lot of times the name of the company doesn't strike you as something you want to go look at until you walk by the booth and go, oh, they have 8K encoders. I know Guy called me over to one booth and I would have never stopped there. It was one of the smaller booths. The other thing is they kind of break it up by country in certain, and I don't know, Jeffrey can talk about the what it's called, but they have like the China, India, they're, they're kind of segregated. But if you don't know what you're looking for, it's hard to just, you just have to kind of zigzag. And I know that I... I saw maybe 20% of everything that we could have. Um, one thing that I really want to spend some time with that I think is really interesting, AI for cars. There was a company called Kama that was creating an add-on self-driving system for any 2016 or newer vehicle that was tied into the... It was basically you mounted up by the rearview mirror. It was like couple thousand dollars. And what struck me from the CEO was he drove a Tesla and has his system and said his auto driving was better than Tesla's. And that's a pretty good testimonial to a guy that owns the Tesla, but uses his own system to do auto driving. That was that was something I could have spent hours talking to him. The, the other one that really struck me is the camera chip AI, where Guy and I were with PTZ Optics and a couple other companies. And there was one company in particular that could tell if the person had their hard hat on, their face mask on, and a traffic vest. And it would literally go bing, 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 and say they're good. That, this AI on camera, you don't need a server now. You, you could... It, it, that that was really striking, and we we couldn't spend enough time there. Were, some of those booths were just super compelling. Uh, our friends at Geniverse, their booth was unbelievable. The new products are coming out. Jeffrey and I have had a relationship with them for years, and to see their new products that they're we spent two hours. They guy finally told me I got to leave. You can stay and keep talking to them. But we were just with with the, what happened in California with the power outages. That segment 
to our productions is is huge. We've talked about using the aperture lights on a Geniverse battery pack. There's some really cool production boxes that they're coming out with these battery packs that that we could have spent hours on and i know the dv store is going to start testing some of these battery packs with aperture lights so there there's a side of that that benefits office hours that you can have backup power without without a lot of headroom thanks jeffrey yeah there was another one company called zendier that we we stopped at that basically had power cells that would drive to you and it was it was pretty crazy and then they drive back like a like a robot vacuum would go back to a base and and I saw a lawnmower that also did the same thing I could go back to the base to recharge from there uh for me it's it's the first year is always kid in the candy store because uh, you you just have no idea how it's going to work but then you start getting contacts and the, the the best way to run ces or any trade show for that matter is to get the contacts and do the follow-up and create the relationships because once you start creating the relationships then it just kind of falls into place for the next year and the next year so no i didn't go see the color changing car or the uh, stroller that was gonna that can walk itself or anything like that if i stopped by it and saw it and took some video hey that's all well and good but one it didn't really fit my audience and two, I really just really didn't care about a stroller that that worked on its own. So uh, it, it's when it comes to CES, you first of all you go to your contacts that have helped you throughout the years and find out what's new, and then of course you pick up on some new stuff so you can continue on for the next year. You drop some business cards or however it works nowadays, and then uh, and then you you just keep in contact and then you find out because a lot of these products they're either not out just yet, or they're they're not going to be out for a couple of years. They're just concepts. And then when they come out, then you start to really review those products from there. So it's, it's really about collecting names and numbers so you can keep a constant communication with them for the future. Guy, your thoughts? Yeah, a lot about, uh, of CS is about the relationships. Uh, one of the uh, gentlemen who uh, is a mentor and friend who um, introduced me to CS, he's like, you got to go. Because I was like, well, I'm in more broadcast and professional audio video, not not for consumers. And he's like, no, just go. You'll see what I'm talking about. And it was fascinating the first year that I, I went because I was into the, all the gadgets. And then I later looked back and I was like, man, you met a lot of cool people. It's, it's about the relationships, but it, some of it is about, you know, talking meeting to uh, an exhibitor that uh, is the person who built it. So sometimes you'll go to a booth and he's like, oh yeah, I could, I could change that code. And you're like, what? It's like, you're talking to the product manager or the engineer. <laughs> so going to these shows, you get some hands-on action with some people that you normally uh, wouldn't have access to. So that, that was uh, one of the, the fascinating ones. Uh, and in that same meeting with that gentleman, uh, I asked what he thought of the show and uh there was a VC uh, at our breakfast table and he said, uh, Palantir, so P-A-L-N-T-I-R, Palantir, big data company, does a lot of work with government. Look them up. Uh, very fascinating to tour their booth and see what they're doing with drones and uh, t uh, taking uh, sensor data so they can put sensors and they can send all this into their big, huge machine learning uh, AI uh, boxes and do things like you would not believe. So they're... Uh, they're a growing company. That's a booth that I wish I could have spent a little bit more time at because I was seeing how they were using uh, these sensors in uh, water treatment plants and able to change the ammonia levels based on when people wake up in the morning because they can spot trends now that they got this data. So big data was another big theme of, of the CES. 
can't support this too much. I thought for the first seven years I went to big trade shows, it was all about seeing things. And I realized after about that much time, it's not. It's about meeting people. That's what will change your life at these trade shows, not necessarily seeing things. Um, Alex, next question. Next question is from Sky Gleason in Seattle, Washington. Sky asks, what concept did you see that may not be a product for another few years? Sky Gleason. I remember seeing the original balsa wood red camera at NAB, and it was just crazy talk. I mean, the industry had been around going capturing images for hundreds of years or a hundred years anyway in film and video. And so now what concept did you see that's crazy, but we might be using it in the next few years? Keenan Campbell. So there were there were a lot of them. Um, one that I thought was super interesting. Sony partnered with a space company to do a micro satellite. Never would I thought that I would have saw. A, so space was a big thing. They, the International Space Station came in live to CES during a keynote. Um, there was there was some really neat space tech. I also and Guy is showing it right now. If we can, yeah, we can pull it up. That looks like it's got a Sony A7R camera in it, and you can actually take pictures. You as a consumer can rent this, and you during a certain time of the day, you get your hour, and you can take as many pictures as you want. Point the camera. It's got little water jet thrusters. Um, yeah, this is a, a small little star sphere-1i, and uh, yeah, it uses solar to charge itself, and then it's got an A7R in there, and it's a low-orbit low uh satellite that cruises around that's what it looks like there's a whole article on film stoppers about this it's really fascinating so banana for scale how how big was that about the size i guess shoebox case yeah, yeah briefcase so what uh what i will say is john Preto's already ordered one and oh space and garage rocketeers are going to try to launch one so Preto's already booked one and he paid for it so we he doesn't know we have his credit card at ces and so we have our own satellite so, John's but, looking for the apogee rocket shot. <laughs> so he will fly the satellite over the path of the rocket to get that nose cone view. Jeffrey Powers. So uh, we saw a lot of electric vehicles. Uh, and like, for instance, this is the uh, the new DeLorean, the EV DeLorean. That's probably not going to come out for a couple of years and probably not going to look like that as uh, as that is because that was just to display from there. So saw a lot of EV stuff that uh, that will be coming out in a couple of years. But the other thing is you might see something and it might be one brand name, but in a, a year or two from now, it's Logitech. Like, for instance, the Mevo Start, perfect example. Logitech ends up buying it and then it becomes the, the Logitech Mevo Start. So you, you uh, that's that's the type of stuff that you see because, once again, they're looking for uh, people to distribute and deals to, to be had from there. So uh, other than that, I can't think of anything else that I saw that would be really cool to see in, the, in a couple of years. Next question. Next question is from Guy Cochran in Seattle, uh, USA. Guy asks, how did you stream SRT directly to YouTube? Guy? Runs how down the you? field. <laughs> <laughs> Throws the ball to himself. So we had a gentleman in After Hours that gave us the inside scoop that SRT was coming to YouTube. And uh, we'll put this caveat in there that this is mostly going to be towards partners, uh, YouTube partners, brand brands, and uh, broadcasters. So it's not available to the public. And when it does go public, I'm not sure uh, how wide it will go. But we were able to uh, send out just with a, a regular laptop computer uh, using OBS 29 got released that day. And so OBS 29 is how we were able to stream SRT. So you the, the interesting thing about SRT is the fact that uh, in the output, if you have an NVIDIA card in, you can use uh, the NV uh, and, and 
it says NVENC HVAC codec. So basically what it's doing is it's it's using the GPU. So I have my uh, YouTube uh, open up right here and I have uh, uh, OBS here. And if we hit okay and we hit uh, start streaming, we should in a couple seconds see it go ahead and, and connect up there. But yeah, so OBS 29, one of the features that uh, one of uh, the office hours crew helped get in was the ability to add a passphrase, which was one of the things that we needed that was simple. So you don't have to type in the code. Uh, so you can see this is now actually streaming SRT to YouTube. And this is the same thing that we're doing out of the back of uh, the Jeep that Keenan has is we're, we're able to do it with software. So the thing that I've been testing as well that I didn't have uh, down at the show, I should have brought, but if we wanted to do 4K, so I'm gonna go ahead and end this stream. And we'll see if we can uh, hit it again with a little bit lower latency. So we'll go ahead and dismiss that, pop down and uh, make this a low latency stream. Let's go normal latency. So now we're going to jump over to an encoder. So this is hardware now. Uh, so if your computer, it was running OBS and uh, it couldn't do 4K, you can actually stream with hardware. And this is the same box that Alex is using to send up to... Uh, to Amazon, it, it's OEM'd to to Amazon for for uh, for encoding, but this is called the Osprey. It's uh, it's the same box, but not the same software. So yes, it's exactly. Same, it's, it's same, same, same box, service, different software. Bunch of stuff there. That's yeah, exactly the Amazon one. Yeah, and so uh, we're able to stream 4K uh, with the box, um, the Elemental. Uh, I believe it's called the Elemental 4K. Is that the name of it, Alex? 4K Link. Yeah, UHD Link. Link. UHD. UHD. UHD Link. Link. So here's where you could change again that the big deal about SRT is being able to uh, use HEVC, which is half the bandwidth of H.264. So for those of you that have had to get out of a sticky situation where you only had like two megabits to work with, you could actually use in the, in the future, you'll be able to use the HEVC, which with RTMP, you cannot at this, this point in time. The other nice thing about the hardware is that you could change to uh, 422 10 bits. So we can send 422 10-bit using the Osprey. Um, and if we hit uh, start, on this one, start encoding. We should see that pop up here in just a second. So again, this is the 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 4K version of the of the Osprey, and it's able to stream using hardware 4K all the way using SRT. So that's how we're able to do it is using software, but now you can also use hardware. Amazing times we live in. Next question. Next question is from Chris Fenwick in Emeryville, California. And Chris asks, Guy, do you care to share the 2023 limo incident? This is why you come to office hours. Normally what happens in limos stays in limos in Las Vegas. But right now we're going to open up this world. Guy, take it away. Oh, man. Okay, so <laughs> we were standing in line um, waiting for a taxi. And there was a long line. It's going to be about 30 minutes. And Limo pulls up and says, hey, where are you guys going? I said, we're going to Venetian. He says, uh, uh, 70 bucks. And I look at Keenan and I look at Jeffrey and they're like, yeah, you know, 20 bucks, 20 bucks, 20 bucks. And I was like, maybe we can get one more person. The guy behind me goes, yeah, I'd go in on that. So then I look at the crowd of 50 people and I go, hey, anybody going to the Venetian? And a bunch of people raised their hands. So we crowdsourced a limo, packed 10 people inside of this thing, <laughs> drove over to the Venetian. Well, when we get went to get out, the guy said, that'll be $20 a head. So he tried to pull this fast one. And so I got out like 
you know, kind of upset, like ready to do battle. And uh, we got him down to what the normal price was, but we walked inside of, uh, so I see him program now, we walked, we got dropped off at the Venetian and I'm inside of underneath that that rail there. And I realized I forgot my my laptop, my bag that has my passport, my credit cards, my uh, Mac uh, uh, laptop, you know, all the goods are in this. So there's about $3,000 and I spin around and go running down, down to Las Vegas Boulevard. I see the limo turning onto the strip. I'm chasing this limo down, down the sidewalk. And then I jump over that barrier right there, pound on the window to the limo stuck in traffic and say, my bag's back there. And I actually uh, had him open up the door, open up the, unlock the thing. I opened up the door in traffic, grabbed my laptop and then jump back over. And all this happened within like 60 seconds. I mean, so I ran the equivalent of two football fields and jumped the barrier. And <laughs> so it was just one of those funny stories. You really had to be there to to get the full brunt of it, but it was, it was pretty funny. And I did, so a couple, couple things, I did have a VPN running. Uh, so I turned off my, uh, iPads, uh, cellular. So I wouldn't have been able to track it. So I was like, Oh my gosh, but I did have one of those air tags inside. So maybe I could have got it back, but it, you know, it was one of those things where it was a cash deal. So I was sweating bullets. Like, did I just lose three grand worth of stuff? But this is why staying in shape uh, is a good thing. Cause I was able to chase down a <laughs> traffic. Bravo. There's the story. Keenan. You want to comment? So you were there. We were we were really scared. Like, oh boy, he lost all his stuff. And then I realized guy was staying at my house in my spare bedroom and he ran 3.2 miles every morning when he got up. So he runs for fun. The rest of us run for bear attacks or something. And so Jeffrey's like, well, I'm not going to run. And I said, I'm not going to run. I'll walk toward him and we'll see what happens. But I, I mean, he literally turned the gas on and and it looked like he was running the Boston Marathon down and around. It was it, it ended well. I'm glad that we got everything back. And side note, I did offer Guy a new battery for his Apple AirTag, which he didn't change the night before. So as a PSA, if your AirTag battery is low and you somebody offers you a button cell battery, you should change it. Just there you go. There. Great story. Next question. Next question is from Joe Kidd in Bay Area, California. And Joe asks, I'd love to hear more on your workflow with the 360 camera. Particularly, I'm curious how you are creating and delivering the VR experience discussed earlier in the hour. Jeffrey. So, like I said, the, the VR experience, because I've used the the 360 cameras to create an HD experience, and, and it works really well. So, uh, when when Insta360 came out with the one inch sensor uh, uh, cameras, it was it it was really a no brainer to pay that eight hundred dollars for that type of camera. And if it didn't work, I did have a backup just in case. Once again, I was for the most part everything is HD. There there is an event that I I did on Saturday where all the companies uh, were just doing it straight up uh, VR because I know they're going to enjoy uh, putting on the goggles and 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 watching it from that way. As for the workflow, it continues to uh, progress from there because I'm learning new things. Like I said, I went through the third video and I realized, hey, I can actually do a picture and picture and see what we're talking about and show the product and and what happens if I move this and turn this around and do a pan because the bit, the first part was all about panning so I could I could uh, point onto the uh, 
point onto the product and just kind of pan it like there was an actual camera person there. Uh, with the VR stuff, uh, I'm running into some problems with the graphics. So I'm more than open if anybody's got any pointers, if they've done anything, to come on, uh, uh, message me, and uh, we can definitely talk about it. But I can also come on after hours and uh, and go in depth on how I'm doing it. Most most uh, editors will let you do, you know, like Premiere or Resolve or Final Cut. They'll all let you uh, uh, do VR video. But Insta360 also has its own editor that you can do quick edits to. Got time to catch another couple of questions here. So next one. Next question is from Jack Cannon in Phoenix, Arizona. Jack asks, using a cart at a trade show will be covering the Overland Expo West in May. What products did you wish you had at CES that we should add to our cart? Our cart will be off-road friendly due to being outside. So is any, uh, did you guys see a bunch of carts there? And if so, how big and what kind of tires especially? And now this was an indoor show. This uh, Jack here in this question says he's going to be going off-road. Uh, suggestions on that, Jeffrey? We saw some regular production carts with uh, big wheels. And like I said, they're, they're, there are rules to bringing a cart onto a trade show, and you got to check with the trade show before you do that. Uh, so, but uh, lots of carts that are, are are just dressed to the nines with uh, gear that they would need to uh, make a more professional, probably TV style uh, or movie style uh, production. Um, but uh, for me, it's always been small and simple because if you're if you're trying to futz around just to try and figure out how to set something up it takes it can take up to an hour and the next thing you know you've wasted a lot of time where you could have gotten like three or four pieces of content okay next question next question is from chris widener in lafayette indiana and chris asks what is the resolution to ground height you get with the sony satellite guy cochran the, the article that I referenced was F-stoppers, but there's another one from uh, Petapixel, which shows that it, it's orbiting at around uh, 310 to 772 miles above Earth. And then they say it's not disclosed, but they did disclose the camera that it was an A7R, and it's got a 28 to 135 F4. I'm not sure what the resolution will be as to what they're limiting, because they, they give you a certain amount of time. I think it's one hour. Uh, let's see, completes orbit in 90 minutes. Uh, yeah, I'm not ex sure exactly what the resolution will be once it hits the ground from uh, the transmission, but there is a, a, a video that's from Sony. It might answer it in there, and I'll go ahead and put a, a link to this in the chat. Excellent. This has been a wonderful tour. Thank the three of you so very much for giving us a backstage tour of uh, CES and how it happens. I think this was one of the most interesting shows I've watched or been a part of in a while. So I hope everybody else felt the same thing. We have some thank yous to do real quick. Uh, first of all, tomorrow, Friday, don't forget uh, the Zoom team is going to be here. Andy Carluccio, Sam Kokaiko, Jonathan Cocatello, they're all going to be here to discuss the digital event production, liminal apps, Zoom rooms, and so forth. So that's tomorrow on the regular show. On Saturday, distance learning is the subject. So if that's something you're interested in, come back. Sunday, of course, is uh, more laid back and uh, 
So that's what's coming up. We want to say thank you to everybody, particularly the panelists who, without the panelists, we couldn't do this every day. So great panel. You guys did a fabulous job of covering everybody's questions. We want to thank all of those of you who are just watching the shows, our producers who are feeding these questions in. Without you, this is impossible. And as you watch the credits, which are going to start rolling right now, you're going to see the backstage. Everybody who handles everything, watch these credits. These people work incredibly hard. Thank you for watching, and we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks, guys. Great show. Great show. Yeah, I think I'm going to be a minute over. Overland. Oh, it's fine. We could have gone a little over. And, uh, the um, Overland. How are we not covering that? The Overland Expo West. We, we are covering it. Jack and I are part of the team, that, and uh, we're trying to get Fenwick to go. So loud. Sorry. I'm not Sorry. a whisperer. We'll talk because we are covering it, and we could use some help. Okay. Maybe we'll get Guy to fly down, too. Where is it? A Flagstaff, Arizona. Oh, the Northland up in the Coconino National Forest. Yeah, so let, we'll talk for Back sure. Game. Back to your running boys and girls. <laughs> Thanks, Chad. And back end. Thank you, everybody.